Welcome, everyone, to the pilot episode of our new podcast, Brighter Talks. This episode will kick off a whole interview series in which we're going to look for the brighter perspectives of urban living. It'll be about cities and how we're going to live and to move in them, how we're going to build and support them, how bright exactly the future outlook for the megacities of tomorrow is going to be. In each Brighter Talks episode, I'll be talking to an expert, a scientist, an architect, or a university teacher. We'll speak about their respective visions for future cities and how those can become reality. And I'm very happy to announce that today's guest, the podcast's first guest ever, is Alanis von Radecki. A very warm welcome to you, Alanis. Thanks. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Well, Alanis, you're a scientist and working at the world-famous Fraunhofer Institute, where you're the head of the Urban Governance Innovation Team, which sounds very impressive. Um, Could you tell us a bit more about that? What exactly are you and your colleagues currently working on? Yeah, sure. So um, the Urban Governance Innovation Team at Fraunhofer um, basically helps cities to make use of new technologies and innovation. So innovation processes in cities traditionally take a long time, and uh, we help cities and uh, city officials understand the potential of technologies which it has for the sustainable future livable development of cities. And we also help to speed up innovation processes and uh, we help cities to forge better uh, collaboration with research and the private sector. So basically, if you want to put it into one sentence, we we speed up innovation and um, make cities uh, future-proof. So you're basically helping cities develop and share and shape their own futures. So, but that raises the question, in what kind of shape are they already in? I mean, are they bringing a lot to the table to help you with this? Or do you have to effectively start from scratch with them? Uh, you know, it's it's quite interesting because each city starts from a different um, point in time. Of course, there is no city which, you know, starts from scratch. Each city has kind of a rich history of urban development. You'll find infrastructures, you'll find um, an urban fabric. And, you know, it, it usually comes down to understanding where a specific city stands in, in order to be able to grasp that and to work with it. When it comes to innovation and, you know, new technologies and dealing with data and the potential of, you know, specifically sustainable technologies, of course, we experience a large range of, of diversity in cities. So, you know, there's world leaders like the city of London or Amsterdam, where there's a lot already happening, where there's a lot of innovation in place, where there's great, let's say, innovation architects that have a good tradition of collaboration that are able to, you know, run projects based on data, integrate technologies across the sectors. And um, of course, you, you, you also have very different cities like, you know, for example, Ingolstadt in Germany or, or Kassel, like two German cities that come to my mind, where you have a way more traditional um, understanding of urban development, where you have not a lot of experience um, when it comes to, to innovation, to cross-sectoral collaboration and interdisciplinary uh, collaboration. So for us, the challenge usually is to identify where does the city stand, what are the key challenges, and and then find the right solutions or the, the right approach for the local context, because a city is always, you know, it's defined by the local context. And of course, a lot of cities also share common challenges, like, for example, air quality or congestion and, and transportation issues. That's a, It's an issue in virtually each city and increasingly also the question of how to reduce CO2 emissions or how to foster social inclusion, how to use digital technologies um, to, you know, to also engage with citizens in a different way. So London is one thing and Castle is another. And then, of course, there's global south cities like, say, Jakarta or Manila, all, all of which are having these, you know, incredibly localized different challenges. And yet you're trying to find some universal solutions. How do you, 
you know, how do you basically start with that? A, a city comes to you, they want to change, they want to innovate. Every problem is local, and yet you're trying to find these sort of common solutions. How do you square the very local and the attempt at sort of universal solutions to something like air pollution? That's a great question. You know, we usually have a four-step approach that, you know, you could scale up to several other steps, but it's basically four steps that we try to, that we usually do. So we start up with a very structured assessment of the status quo. You need evidence, you need ob objective numbers and figures to understand the key issues um, of a city. So we usually start with an assessment of the status quo that could be based on indicators. It could be based on a structured assessment of what we call action fields and uh, also the state of the art of the technologies and infrastructures in place. And you would understand issues like, you know, how much water uh, is is the city losing out of leakages? How much energy is it, for example, using to, to run its street lighting system, et cetera, et cetera. And like this, we can, you know, we have benchmarks for this and we can measure um, how efficient and sustainable and let's say future-proof a city is. But when you've done that, you need to understand where are the specific pain points, of course, and also what are um, existing potential initiatives and, and also local stakeholders that you can build on to um, co-create the right solutions that you need. Because if you want to be effective in inducing a transformation in a city, you have to work with the local stakeholders, which is, of course, city representatives. It's usually um, representatives of the utility uh, company, but also other local uh, stakeholders. So we run a some type of co-creation process where we uh, run workshops together and, and identify the most viable solutions and projects on the ground. And then in a third step, we go to identifying the, the best vehicle to implement that. And that usually comes down to the question of funding. So how do you invest into a specific innovative solution? And what we then often tend to turn to is the principle of the living lab. So as we all know, cities are a tremendously complex systems. And um, often it's a good idea to not invest into an entire transformation before you haven't tested something new. So we usually start in a specific district or on a specific street level. And then we co-create, co we collaborate, for example, with companies that have an interest in also testing new technologies and solutions and thus run really like an innovation partnership between the city and the, the private sector in order to understand the city and the infrastructure more like a living laboratory um, where you can then really um, develop and test the solutions for the future. And after you see they actually work, you can scale them up. How do you go about setting up this living lab and, and what scale particularly in cities too? That, you, that, you, you know, that it's simple enough that you can test it, but that it's large enough in scale that you actually capture the complexity of the city and you build a real solution. Yeah, so um, there, there's a couple of issues that are really important for us when it comes to designing these living labs. On the one hand, uh, the scale needs to be sufficiently large in order to test also, you know, rather large scale applications. Uh, so if it's just one street or one parking spot, then usually it's not large enough. So we often turn towards the district level. Um, for example, take the Dublin Docklands, uh, which is a newly built district with, with a lot of interesting investment by large tech companies. So we use that district to then test new technologies like, for example, automated vehicles or 5G technology, which, which would you know, then, then be tested on a district level. And the district is, is usually quite large. And from there, in order to understand 
you know, whether what you are doing actually matters, you need a very good dialogue with citizens. So around the deployment and the testing of a new solution, you need to craft an, a whole engagement, citizen engagement process on the one hand. And on the other hand, you need to have a very sound approach towards data governance. Because whatever we do with more connected and sustainable technologies, they run on data. So you need to have a clear understanding of how you can engage with all sorts of stakeholders in an urban development project and relate on their data. For example, also include citizen data, but have the citizens and the other actors and stakeholders remain in charge and in sovereignty of their own data. So these are some, some of the elements that we um, usually bring into the process when setting up the living labs. Interesting. So once you have that sort of data governance policy in place, which the lack thereof has bedeviled other similar projects to things like the, the Dublin district, you know, what kind of infrastructures then you put in? You mentioned autonomous vehicles. There's lots of experiments with you know, street lighting, for example, as an armature for sensing. Um, you know, what, what, what have you experimented with in terms of the best sort of infrastructures to play with in these labs? Well, it really comes down to what you want to prove and what, what is the goal. So, for example, if the goal is to reduce CO2 emissions and more shift to renewable energies in the energy sector, um, then, of course, you set up the living lab accordingly. So, for example, what we've done in the city of Manchester, in the Manchester Corridor, we have basically linked a couple of public buildings into a virtual power plant. So when it comes to increasing the amount of renewable energy that you want to harvest in your city, uh, you have the issue that wind is not always blowing, sun is not always shining, but you, you have a specific pattern of electricity usage in the buildings. So you need to synchronize that. And the way of doing it is that you basically link as many different sources of energy. This could be geothermal energy, it could be solar thermal energy, it could be photovoltaics, it could be wind power, it, it could be heat and electricity in a very integrated system and then build a smart controller that is able to, in real time basically, analyze what is the current energy demand in a building and what is the current supply of renewable heat and electricity. And if there is more heat in the system but the demand is more on the electricity side, then you need technologies that are able to change heat into electricity. So that's also the reason why um, in all of these projects that we do, we tend to say we re rely a lot on data and connectivity because it's always about real-time information and it's always about using data and digital assets to um, make use of the synergies. If it's more about, for example, energy efficiency, then of course, as you were just saying, Greg, uh, switching to LED street lighting, of course, is is a great approach because, you know, cities, they spend up to 50% of their municipal electricity budget just on street lighting. And if you're able to switch from conventional street lights to LED street lights, you can reduce up to 80% of the energy costs of a municipal budget. Fascinating. So, all right, so the savings, you, you can capture those in a lab. I guess the question then becomes, you know, once you've implemented that solution and you have it working in, at a neighborhood or district size level, how then do you scale it to the size of a city or, or multiple cities from there? I mean, the, the, given the different governance challenges, given the challenges of, of just the infrastructure alone, you know, what, what do you face in trying to take that from this living lab up to a, a full metropolitan scale? Yeah, so the, the key issue is that you need to generate evidence 
that your solution is actually working. If, you, if we want to stick with that example of the street lighting, then, you know, street lighting on, on the one hand, you know, has a very, very clear business case. And if it was just for the LED exchange, you know, it is very, very easy to scale that to an entire city uh, level because you have a very, very clear and simple business case because you save energy. The LED street lighting is way more energy efficient and, you know, you, you just save a lot of money. So that is something that can be easily transferred into a deployment plan on city level or even on multi, multi-city multi level. But when it comes to more complex benefits of these solutions, you know, a different approach is required. So if, you, if we consider that streetlights have the ability to provide so much more to a city by, for example, providing connectivity and free Wi-Fi for citizens, by also doing, for example, air quality um, monitoring, by being equipped with sensors to do traffic management or park like smart parking solutions or even you know providing charging infrastructure for electric vehicles so all of this you can do with um with with a street light but all of this comes with a cost and with a benefit and here it really depends on the cost benefit ratio and the specific understanding of a cost benefit ratio in the urban system. And our specific approach here is to understand benefits not only in terms of financial benefits, but in in form of a wider social, economic and environmental benefit. And then uh, what we usually do is together with the municipalities, we come to a very good assessment and understanding of the benefits that have been produced in a living lab, the social, the environmental and the economic benefits. And if these are positive in an overall understanding, then there is a good argument that you can make to scale this up to the entire city level. Interesting. So given the number of cities you worked with, and again, you've mentioned several of them, you know, which one is your favorite, I guess, or which one are you most especially proud of in terms of guiding them through that process? And what aspect was it? Was it governance? Was it a particularly inclusive process? But, you know, uh, when talking about smart cities, people love to point at things like Singapore, for example. But I'm curious, you know, if there, is there a smaller city that you particularly enjoyed working with or, or any other sort of a non, uh, non-usual suspect? Yeah, so um, I'd love to highlight two cities which I've particularly enjoyed working with in the last couple of years. One is the city of Prague, so the capital of the Czech Republic. We started to work with Prague in 2015 and um, did a like sort of a full 360 degree analysis of the city and then came to a very locally adapted innovation and smart city strategy and roadmap. And what made it so fascinating for me is that we could show and demonstrate how you can actually use new technologies to make more of an existing traditional city, right? So often there is the criticism about the smart city concept actually being somewhat alienated from what cities should actually be. So if you go to Prague, you have this wonderful medieval city with, you know, narrow streets and cobblestones and old buildings, and it's crowded with tourists. So, you know, what what we understood is that if we just make best use of digital technologies, we could much better guide tourists through the city and make, on the one hand, the city a much better experience for tourists. And on the other hand, also give the city a much better access to that potential of tourists. Because if you are in Prague, there's one axis where the entire crowd is located. They always go from the castle over the bridge into the old town and everyone is on that axis but if you go like 200 meter right or left there's beautiful historic cultural institutions and buildings and often there's no one there because no one knows them so um you know by 
building up a sensor infrastructure and, for example, beacons and an entire system that would also help the local companies and shop owners provide better digital information to the tourists. We could actually, you know, manage to guide and steer tourists in a much better way into the city. And that shows you how you can, you know, enhance an existing beautiful traditional city with connected and digital technologies in a very positive sense. And the other one is uh, the city of Eindhoven. It's also a city that I've been working with quite intensively over the course of the last definitely like five or six years. And and this is one of the fast movers. Uh, Usually um, cities take longer in order to, you know, follow your innovation uh, processes. But the city of Eindhoven is a city that is constantly thinking about how can we improve things? How can we reorganize ourselves to be quicker? So in Eindhoven, we've started several different projects. We've redeveloped the entire former uh, industry campus of Philips, the lighting company, Streip S, which now is a living laboratory for a range of fascinating technologies. And, And you've got 150 startups that moved into to these old buildings and and we've been pushing several projects in parallel so that now we thought let's you know this collaboration is really really uh, fruitful let's institutionalize this so we just signed a joint memorandum of understanding no actually it's a contract to have a an own joint venture in the city of Eindhoven where Fraunhofer researchers and local stakeholders now collaborate together on a day-to-day basis and the Fraunhofer researchers are also sitting in inside the city to help the city accelerate this innovation potential that it has. Fascinating. So, so the, both of those are really interesting. I, but then the flip side of that question is, is you know, which city have you not worked with that would be at the top of your wish list? And I'm curious about, in the same vein, you know, are there any particular Global South mega cities that, you know, that you would love to engage with, given the stakes involved with that, but also the challenges as well? Yeah, so um, definitely a very, very good question because from our perspective, a lot of the stuff that we're doing here in Europe is is cutting edge and we can do it because a lot of the prerequisites have been installed in some european cities but of course i see most of the global impact in cities of the global south if you look to southeast asia cities like bangkok or even manila or jakarta this is where the actual global demand of sustainable and connected urban development is greatest you know the rapidly urbanizing regions in china in latin america even in africa which has one of the youngest and fastest growing populations in the world i believe there is a, a whole range of fast growing cities which i could imagine working with very closely um, to overcome some of the you know some of the fiercest challenges in that entire range of urban development because I believe not only is the market the largest over there, I also think we have the highest potential of mitigating some of our global impact on resource use and and climate change in these fast-growing cities in the global south. And I believe by now we have a whole range of solutions and ideas and innovation processes in place that are 100% adaptable to these cities. So I would would love to see these type of collaborations um, between you know, um, Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia and Europe coming out more and more and giving us the opportunity to also deploy some of our ideas in, in these cities in large scale. Well, given given the, the scale and the time frame of the challenges these cities are facing, I mean, Jakarta, for example, is literally sinking as we speak. Um, you know, how how long does your process take? And have you been able to, to speed it up? I mean, there's also this assumption that we can, once we learn these things, that we can scale them, repeat them, try to do it faster um, have you had any luck in sort of being able to deploy this or is there a sort of irreducible complexity in working with cities 
that, you know, that grounds the process. Well, I think that it, it, it becomes quite clear if you try to understand the innovation cycles of different type of technologies that coexist in a city at the same time. So, you know, the city is made up of a, a lot of different type of technologies and infrastructures, and all of this have different innovation cycles. So if you take, you know, the built infrastructure of the city, the buildings, or even, you know, a large infrastructure like the water infrastructure or the rail infrastructure or roads, these have innovation cycles of, you know, 80 to uh, 200 years. So it takes roughly 200 years until an entire building substance of a city gets renewed once. That means it's 0.5% per year of, of re, sort of renewal of a city. If you go down to other type of technologies like, like cars or vehicles, you've got innovation cycles of 10 years maybe, right? Until Or 10, maybe 15 years until the fleet gets renewed. And then if you move further down into the digital realm, you have very, very short innovation cycles of, you know, sometimes only a couple of months until a new update is released. And, and the challenges, of course, are to, you know, to soon synchronize these innovation cycles in a way that helps the entire transformation speed up. And this is also the reason why we often try to link digital innovation or digital technologies to physical urban infrastructure. Because by making better use of digital uh, innovations, we can speed up the process, right? We can, we can uh, reach out to many more people at the same time. We can make them use the physical infrastructure and the physical assets of a city way more efficient. So basically what we're you know, experiencing is that if you manage to you know, shift a significant portion of the behavior and the innovation in more into that digital realm, then you can actually speed up the innovation processes quite quite a lot. Interesting. Well, I guess we're almost out of time. So one last question then is, is you know, given that a lot of these innovations and technologies are particularly meant for, I don't know, the sort of managerial scale, right? For for you know district-wide energy efficiency and so forth, and you know, and sort of changing behavior. Uh, would you want to live in one of these cities? What do you imagine is the benefit for citizens ultimately that makes life better for them and not just the improving the overall performance of the district or the city itself? Yeah, you know, um, so my personal opinion on this is that I believe a lot of these technologies are more sort of uh, in the background. And what actually makes a city very attractive and livable for us is not so much a very prominent digital technology, which is there. It's, it's still an attractive living urban environment. It's good, well-designed public spaces. It's urban planning. I wouldn't like to live in a, in a sort of technopolis where, you know, technology is everywhere and it's very prominent. And I, I don't believe that this is necessary. I rather think that technology and innovation gives us the potential to run our cities way more efficient and therefore also open up the public space again to reconnect people, to bring nature back into the city like Copenhagen is doing it, for example. You know, for example, to focus more on softer forms of mobility and be less car dependent in our cities and thus recover the public space also. So by all the focus on, on innovation and tech, we mustn't forget that what actually makes a city livable is really the public space and how the public space is designed and how people of all classes, people of all social um, groups are able to use the public space for their own life. Um, so therefore, I, I would still really emphasize that any city needs to have a very good approach to, to urban planning and it can be improved by relating to technology and innovation. 
Well, I say once again, all livable cities lead back to Copenhagen. So I'm glad to know that that's where we ended up. Uh, well, thank you so much, Alanis, for joining us. And thank you for being our inaugural guest on the Brighter Talks podcast series. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I was, that was really excited and uh, I was happy to share some of my work with you. Well, great. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, and we will be back soon with another episode of Brighter Talks. Thank you all so much.